0: Good morning, Terranova. Your Resurrection Sunday. Good to be together, especially when I think of just a year ago, us not being together on this day, on Easter Sunday. Um, we've come a long way. Um, I wanted to share with you something I shared at the first service uh, just after having sang In Christ Alone um, so beautifully and sincerely. Um, a, a, a brother in the Lord and a fellow pastor in the Terranova Network sent us a text, Matt and I, this morning, it says, brothers, today of all days, may we sing, may we out sing the angels Let's rise and shine and give God the glory. And um, I was just thinking, so easy to um, live with just an earthly mindset and forget the eternal reality that exists, the spiritual reality exists. But um, angels actually observe and witness and learn from us as we worship our God, not just on Sundays, even as we live our lives. But one of the things that they can't relate to like we can is in how we are direct beneficiaries of what we'll be talking about this morning. Um, the death of Christ on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. They, they learn about their God and their creator through how they witness God's people in this fallen and broken world who have sinned, um, being redeemed by a savior um, and worshiping him on this resurrection Sunday. And so that was just on my heart to, to share and, um, and something I was pondering before coming up here comes to Christianity, as I said, uh, the epicenter really for our belief revolves around death and resurrection of Jesus. These are the most important uh, parts of, our, of, the, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But if you've been with us for any length of time at Terranova and maybe to a Nucleus class, our kind of new here class, you know that we actually go out of our way to expand the definition and understanding of what the gospel is to say that It is more actually than just the Christ event. That we'll go back to creation itself where God created everything and called it good and he created mankind and for us he made a way for there to be true life and place and meaning in this world. The original good news, the original gospel, and of course broke into the world by mankind deciding that we knew better than God and that was all lost. The gospel is also then the overarching story from Genesis through Revelation of God redeeming the life, place, meaning that was lost. All of that said, linchpin for it all, epicenter of it all, the crux of it all, the most important part of it all, the piece that makes it all work, is in fact death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we never want to make that all that it is, but we never want to minimize it as the most important thing either. Paul seems to recognize this priority when it comes to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, where he gives us kind of a, the plane is going down version, 15 second version of what the gospel is. When he says to the Corinthians, this, I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he goes on to state this synced gospel I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's why the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection are so crucial and so precious to what we believe and revolve our lives around as Christians. First, you ever doubted God's love for you, if you've ever doubted God's love for this world, no farther than the cross. There are many other experiences we can have, things we can observe in this world, and infer from it all, there must be a God who loves that is in and has made this world. But nothing showcases God's love like the cross. And if you've ever, on the other hand, struggled with a fear of the power of death and the effects of death in this world, sin and brokenness and suffering, then look no further than the resurrection. You see, the cross offers hope in a God who is love unlike anything else can, and the resurrection offers hope in a God who holds the power over death and life anything else can. Why? Gather together on Good Friday and Easter Sunday and specially set aside these days to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. With us a couple of days ago, of course, on Good Friday we contemplated of God as seen on the cross. And we'll return there before we close today when we get back around to communion. But what I wanna do for the next few moments is talk about the practical hope that the resurrection offers us as Christians in everyday life. Here's the reason resurrection of Jesus is such a big deal. Because Jesus rose from the dead, sin no longer has dominion over you. Suffering no longer has the final say in your life. You're no longer impotent, powerless against the sinful inclinations and desires in your life. Impulse to retaliate when somebody hurts you the impulse to defend yourself when somebody sizes you the impulse to be anxious when stuff of life is not getting done desire to self-medicate when things aren't going well ultimately leading you to be worse off than you were before the desire to satisfy your sinful lusts and desires. you're not beholden to this anymore you're not powerless and impotent against the power of sin because a new power has broken in a greater power the power that is seen in the resurrection of jesus from the dead the source of that power as we'll see is the holy spirit and the means through which he brings victory in our lives is through renewing our desires through our faith. Let me unpack that from Scripture with you for the next few moments from the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul, first in Romans 6, plainly speaks of this hope that we have as Christians of a new life because of the resurrection when he uses the metaphor of baptism in Romans 6, 4. He says this, we were buried therefore with Jesus by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There it is. newness promise of new life because Jesus rose from the dead. The reality that baptism symbolically here is picturing is that when Jesus died for sins, as if all those who trust in him died with him. His death paying the penalty for your and my sin no longer slaves to sin. But Paul says a few verses later in Verse 7 of chapter 6, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Free from what? Free from sin. And set free from the price of sin. Also set free from the power of sin. The price having been paid for your sin is not enough. That isn't all that Jesus came to accomplish or do for you. That would be as if you were in prison, set free to return to the world you'd been living in, but your heart isn't changed. So inevitably, you return to your old ways and end up doing the same things you did to begin with to get you in there. Well, let me put it this way. If there's a judge in a court who set you free, because somebody else decided to to step in and serve your sentence for you, which by the way, is what Jesus did for us, you would be grateful. Understand that's only half the blessing that Jesus accomplished for us. He's also given us the power to live a new life where sin no longer rules our desires and our decisions. What then is the source of that power? Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 tells us, As if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. See, the cross, Good Friday, Is what made forgiveness possible? Is what made justification possible? The fact that your sins and the sentence of death that you and I deserve because of those no longer counted against us. The resurrection also promises the power now to experience real transformation, new life, victory over sin. But hear this, because if I was to stop there, I would be doing us a disservice this morning. Because that victory over sin So much an automatic empowering of your will to overcome temptation that just happens. What the Holy Spirit does is he makes it even possible for us to submit our will to God's. As we do that, he illuminates our hearts and our minds to how much better God's ways are than our ways. And over time, as we continue to submit our will and he empowers us by illuminating our hearts and minds to God's ways being better than our own. It's about a renewed desire renewed desires within you, and sin loses its potency in your life. You have a significant part to play, and if you don't play it, then the Holy Spirit's power lies dormant in you, even if you are a Christian. I wondered, man, why don't I change? Why doesn't change happen more rapidly in my life? Why, why isn't there the transformation I would expect taking place in my life? Well, a couple of reasons that could be. First of all, sanctification, that process of growth in Christ, is a slow process, Oftentimes sometimes is because we don't understand that we have a part to play in this journey and process Paul implies as much a few verses later in chapter 6 verse 12 where he says this after of course having promised and celebrated the new life we have available to us in christ he says to christians let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions and what else could paul mean here by let not the implication that as christians it is possible that we could continue to let sin reign in our mortal bodies have to choose not to genuine transformation of our hearts is going to take place continues in verses 13 and 14 saying do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life your members to God as instruments for righteousness now why can we do this because he says for sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law but under grace because Jesus has died and rose again, so you can present your members. You can, as a Christian, it is possible for you to present your members, your your whole selves, ten as instruments of unrighteousness. Despite the gift of the Holy Spirit you've been given, remain unchanged. Potential for new life exists. Inwardly, nothing really changes. Death still appears to be what is reigning in your life. It's possible. How do we then present ourselves to God as instruments for righteousness? A few chapters later, in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul turns a corner. He gets practical. He spent the first 11 chapters of this letter to the church in Rome, laying a foundation of proper theological understanding for the basis for how we can be justified, sanctified. How we can be forgiven, it's possible that there's new life available to us, but now it gets practical. How do we actually apprehend, take hold of this new life? Romans twelve two, he says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect paul uses this word this verb here be transformed it's metamorpho it's the same word we actually talked about last week when we looked at the transfiguration of jesus on the mountain before peter james and john when they saw him for who he truly was in his full glory word being used here about you and i if we are in christ also the same word that's at the root of the english word metamorphosis think of a butterfly the caterpillar to begin with, emerging from a cocoon is something completely different and of a different glory. Word being transformed here is talking about being changed, you and I being changed into something else, something else being more like Jesus. The other thing I want to point out that's so important here to see, this, this verb, this action word is in a passive tense. What that means is subject, you and I, are not doing the action of this word We are, in fact, being acted upon by something or someone else. Who is that something or someone else? The Holy Spirit that Paul has just finished telling us about in Romans chapter 8. How does he do this? Full of ways. First, the Holy Spirit even makes it possible for you to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Before the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life, us, not even possible. Paul, same author of Romans, writes in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, foolishness. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the Holy Spirit is the one who even gives us the lens through which we can recognize in this world what is truly good. Responsible for that. That's not enough for the metamorphosis to take place. Paul goes on to say then that we, you and I, must test God's will. That word is also a verb but the subject is doing the action. It's an active tense verb. You and I are the ones to test God's will here. That The full meaning of this word and the implication of what Paul is saying to the Romans is test in order to approve God's will. As the ESV Study Bible puts it, finding out the worth of something by putting it to use or testing it in actual practice. Right, so it would be like if you were in an old house and you knew that some of those stairs on the way up to the attic were kind of creaky and iffy, but the only way to know for sure if it's going to hold your weight is to test it, to apply some weight to it. It would be as if you are in the grocery store trying to find out, uh, you know, which peaches you're going to take home with you, and and they look juicy, they look ripe, but the only way you're going to know if you actually bite into it. See if it's truly sweet. So you have to put God's will Paul is saying his truth his word into practice in order to find out how good and perfect it is and when you do this is called faith the Holy Spirit enables you to approve God's will that is to see that it is good it's to see that his ways are better than your ways for time as you continually test God's will the Holy Spirit begins to reform your desires but now you no longer just defer god's will intellectually because you know you should begin to want his will than anything else that when metamorphosis takes place that is when your life begins to showcase christ living through you hear me holy spirit is the one who enables you to recognize what is true and is also the one who reforms your desires It is in the testing of God's will, putting it into practice where the Holy Spirit's power brings about this inner metamorphosis, change, transformation of your desires. If you want to walk in this newness of life, this resurrection life that Jesus offered us, has made possible for us, potential is only there because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a latent potential, even for Christians, It requires you to put God's ways into practice, if you're ever going to discover that they are good and perfect and pleasing. And it is only in testing God's will. The Holy Spirit's power is unleashed in your life to bring about the transformation of your will and desires, to bring about that new life as promised. You want to know the resurrection power of Jesus in your difficult marriage? Find out the potency, the power of sacrificial love by putting it into practice. You want to know the resurrection power of Jesus in overcoming sinful pleasure that is so enticing discover the lasting satisfaction of god's ways by fleeing what is evil and pursuing what is righteous do you want to know the resurrection power of jesus in pain find Out the sufficiency of god's comfort by running to him before anything else do you want to know the resurrection power of jesus in moments of doubt find out the trustworthiness of god by continuing to follow him one step past the point of what makes sense to you direction means that sin no longer has dominion over you. And victory over sin is available in any and all of these ways. The way this resurrection power that I'm talking about right now, that's a present power, one that right now can be and is at work within you, sanctifying the inner man. Paul talks about sanctification of the inner man on this side of eternity. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, when he says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer selves are wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed by day so there is a present power made available to us because of the resurrection but there's also a resurrection power that's yet to be experienced it's a power that we look forward to and hope and that is the physical redemption of our bodies and the physical redemption of this world because the resurrection also means that suffering no longer has the final say in your life amen Just a few verses after Paul has already told us about the source of power, the Holy Spirit, he goes on in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, to talk about this heavenly hope that we have that is not yet this power that awaits us, but that is promised virtue of Jesus' own resurrection. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. That is the redemption of our bodies. From this hope we were saved, a hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, wait for it with patience. A couple things I want you to see. First. Paul here is identifying with us as Christians that suffering is real. He's not evading the subject. He's not sweeping it under the rug. He's not trying to say it's a figment of our imagination. It's real. It's unavoidable to many of you. It feels unrelenting. It may change, ebb and flow over the course of our lives, but it, it, it's this unwanted companion that's always with us, it seems. It comes in the form of disappointment. It comes in the form of a broken heart. It comes in the form of shattered dreams. It comes in the form of a hard situation you don't see any way out of it comes in the form of unre- unrelenting physical pain it comes in the form of unrelenting emotional pain and so on but this is where the promise of the res- resurrection interjects itself the resurrection guarantees that suffering does not have the final say at all those experiences you have that are real outside of christ this present reality that we're living in is all that there is you May seek alleviation from suffering the best you can times resorting to extreme measures but the only hope for any kind of relief from suffering is in this life it's going to if it's going to come it's got to come now even if you find ways to avoid suffering for a time it eventually is going to catch up with you because death is undefeated if death were to enter itself in the march madness basketball tournament this time each year it would be no fun filling out those brackets anymore because there'd be no surprises it would win every time because jesus is risen he showed us that that's not all that there is Same power that raised him from the dead will one day result in a new body, a new world, a new reality where sin is no more, pain is no more, disappointment is no more, shattered dreams are no more. What that offers now is a hope that is real, definitive end to suffering, just for you by Christ, and guaranteed by his resurrection. Paul says that that hope produces patience, interestingly enough. That's not a command here, he's not commanding us to be patient here he's saying, is the result of this hope being yours. And it will characterize those who know that they have resurrection life awaiting them. You're in the midst of pain, whatever it may be, physical or emotional or relational, you're able to say with certainty, this is not all that there is. This is temporary. As Jesus is risen, the very opposite of this temporary suffering will be eternally mine because of the resurrection. There is an inheritance that awaits me that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for me, safeguarded by Jesus there. It's not going anywhere. Get that. When that hope is real in your life, you know what that looks like? It's like patience, Paul says. Genuine patience. How? Well, it produces patience because what you otherwise might feel like you've lost out on forever. One day instead, be yours forever in heaven. Lost time, lost opportunities in this life don't weigh so heavily when you know that eternity awaits you. Produces patience because instead of that excruciating physical pain you may be undergoing, stealing from the only life you have, that isn't true. You know that you have resurrection life to come in which God has promised that there will be no more pain. It produces patience because instead of despair over your failings and the failings of those you love around you, you have resurrection life to come in which we're promised all things will be made new and everything shall finally be as it was to be. A hard thing to explain. Words can only do so much. But if you've experienced the hope of resurrection, you know that it's not just wishful thinking about the future. That's a worldly kind of hope. Instead, this kind of hope produces a great peace in the present Because of a certainty about what Christ has secured for you in the future. Because he is risen. Leave you with a question to consider today, to think about this week, to maybe later today, if you have a place to go where you're celebrating Easter lunch or dinner, or maybe after your activities with the kids, an Easter egg hunt, or maybe if you're going to be sitting around a campfire later tonight, you can talk about this. How is your life more filled with hope because Jesus didn't stay dead? How is your life filled with more hope because he is risen? And if you don't find your place, yourself, in this place, perhaps today is an invitation invitation for you to test that floorboard truth that is Jesus Christ and to find him to be trustworthy. Celebrate communion as we do every week here in a moment, which among many other things is an expression of that fact. Christ can be trusted with our full weight. We are sinners in need of a Savior, that we are guilty and deserving of the consequences that are due our sin, but that in God, in love, stepped in sent his only son to die for your and my sins on the cross as he loved us so much union is not only a chance to marvel at this passing love but it's also a chance to marvel at God's surpassing power over life and death this wasn't the end of the story when we celebrate communion Jesus didn't stay dead but it was again defeating Satan sin and death and he secured for us a future in which he gave us a preview through his own resurrection from the dead future in which life, place, and meaning will be fully restored and last forever. Union is specifically for those who believe in these things as a way for us to reaffirm and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But maybe you find yourself today on the threshold of believing these things for yourself. So receiving the free gift of salvation through Christ is not a complicated thing. Have to do anything special. Jesus has actually done it all for you. There are no magic words that you have to pray, just a sincere confession to God that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that your only hope for salvation is found through Jesus. Scripture is clear that God gives grace to the humble, draws near to the brokenhearted. That is your sacrificial act of worship. Jesus does everything else. If you find yourself in that place today, please don't leave without talking to Pastor Matt or myself or the person who brought you, or another Christian that you may know, we would love the opportunity to talk to you. Incredible implications in your life for that decision to trust in and follow after Jesus. Two of them right up front, I can tell you this morning. Jesus is risen. Sin no longer has dominion over you. And suffering no longer has the final say in your life. Be with me. Father, we thank you. What a privilege it is to come before you and worship and celebrate. thing that... You did all on your own. We contributed nothing to because of your great love for us. We see that in the cross. Know that we're coming to the almighty maker and creator of this universe and the author of life. And we're reminded that you are the one with the power over life and death by Jesus' resurrection. We thank you, Father, that we are no longer slaves to sin. Help us to embrace the new identity as new creatures in Christ that you've made available to us whom he's died. May we be marked by Metamorphosis transformed as we follow the Lord in faith. Thank you also, as Paul said, sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Please fan that flame of hope ablaze in our hearts this morning. Father, I pray for those who may be on the threshold of belief today. You know what the tipping point is, Lord. Work that in their hearts. Give them the grace to see sin so that they would feel bad so that they would see the incredible offer that you make available to them, having sent your own son to die for that sin, to make a way to new life so that they're no longer in bondage to the old ways, inclinations and passions and desires. I pray for your grace, you would open their eyes to see that your ways are better and higher. Your will is good and perfect and pleasing. Help them to see your great love, them on the cross and help them Embrace the offer of new life that is available through the resurrection of Jesus. We pray all of this in his name.